This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. This is a UK Coaching podcast. My name's Tom Hartley. I'm a senior coach developer at UK Coaching. Um, and uh, I'm leading this podcast with Jenny Cody, who's a coach developer at UK Coaching as well. And today, we're delighted to be joined by Danny Kerry, uh, the England and Great Britain uh, hockey head coach. Uh, Danny, thank you for joining us on the call. You're really welcome, Tom, and thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Danny, just to kick us off today, uh, it would be brilliant if, if you're able to just give us a brief um, explanation of um, what, what's got you to, to this point, um, some of the maybe the, the real highlights across your, your coaching journey so far? Oh, wow. Uh, that could take up the entire podcast. Um, I never intended to um, work full-time as a hockey coach. It was never my sort of career aspiration. I guess like many people graduating, I wasn't really sure where life would take me. I was contemplating... Uh, and did start the application process to get a Sandhurst to become an officer in the British Army. Um, I actually then went back to university instead as a postgraduate and ended up in a um, as a very young member of faculty at Brunel University, uh, teaching in the university there, um, which is when sort of a very, very uh, piecemeal coaching roles started to become more consistent, more regular. So when I moved to London to teach at the university there, I became involved with some uh, club side. I also became involved with working with the university side. Uh, and then a few years later, I ended up becoming involved with our national pathway with England Hockey. Um, so that was around 97. Um, and then really from that point onwards, I started to get more and more curious and really started to enjoy my coaching. Um, my academic career then took me down to the university down in Canterbury. Um, again, I got involved with uh, a National League club down in Canterbury, really great club down there. And my coaching in the sort of pathway progressed and, and I ended up working with the under 21 men's program in preparation for the Junior World Cup in Australia, Tasmania in 2001. Coming out of the back end of that, I started to think, okay, maybe, maybe I should think about maybe not having a career in academia and, and more, more in coaching. Um, and then in sort of second half of 2004, I became involved in the process to apply for the role of the head coach with the women's program. And then on January 1st, I started, 2005, I started women's program. I was there a good long time from 2005 right through well to 2012 to start with for the London Olympics had uh, two years as just an out and out performance director with British Hockey and then the last two years of the Rio cycle as the head coach and performance director albeit a very small sort of a large amount of my job as executive director was taken off my shoulders and, and a small amount I retained a small amount of my performance director role and went back to the women between 2014 and 2016 Stayed with the women through to 2018. In 2018, I then stepped into the men's role around now. So, you know, a reasonably lengthy time as national head coach um, and a small period of four years as performance director sort of squeezed in there somewhere. So, wow. Yeah. What, what, what a journey. What, what a huge amount of experience as well. Yeah. Um, 
you, you mentioned at the start when when you, you started kind of the, the this this kind of journey that you didn't expect to follow a career in coaching. Um, yeah. What is it about coaching that um, kept you kept you there and and wanted kind of brought you in to, to want to continue to develop and, and stay in stay in the sport? Yes, and it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I say, Tom, you were kind enough to sort of forward me some of these questions in advance, and I was really mulling on that uh, question. And I guess it links to a little bit about people talk about their why. I I enjoy sort of the sense of trying trying to achieve sort of mastery, and and that's very slippery in coaching. There's always new new ways of thinking about things, different perspectives, um, the generations of athletes that you work with shifts and change, they come with different values and attitudes and you have to adapt. And um, So I've really come to sort of discover about myself, I enjoy trying to achieve sort of mastery and expertise. Um, and I think the other big ticket item is I like, I like to be around and be with and belong it's a key word and belong to groups of people who are like-minded really who have that sense of trying to achieve something some collective goal sense of mastery a real sort of striving type environment and i i find that uh really yeah really enjoyable quite often i'm asked well haven't you had enough yet and do you want to stop and i and i i, I kind of when i'm asked that question like my strong sense is I always feel like I'm getting better, <laughs> so I don't want to stop while I'm still developing. Um, some people might argue that I'm not. <laughs> so that's, that's what I feel like. I, why would I want to give up on? Why would I want to give up on that? You know, I feel like I'm just really getting getting to grips with this really nebulous, complex activity that's coaching. Um, why would I want to stop? You know, why would I want to give up on my expertise? I can use it and build on it, and, and that's what's. Uh, I think that's what's kept me kept me going and why I enjoy it so much. I think I think I'm kind of talking saying what you said about that strength in a team or, or being surrounded by like-minded people. Um, with with the focus of the, the conversation today, obviously we're talking around coaching and, and different boundaries within the coaching world and coaching context. And perhaps for a lot of coaches who maybe aren't necessarily working at high-end kind of Olympic pathways, but are, are out kind of working in, in clubs and development pathways, they may find themselves working with other coaches, but spending a lot of time on their own or a lot of time or almost in, in isolation as a coach. Um, for you and from your experience, how, how does being part of that wider team of coaches or surrounding yourself by like-minded people benefit you and your development and then that knock-on impact to the athletes that you're, you're working with? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think for me personally, and I think this is particular to my context, is um, you know being a head of an Olympic program can can at times be pretty challenging. You know there are some significant um, hurdles. So you know dealing with Olympic selection, getting that right, not just in terms of the decision of what you get to, but then working with the individuals is a pretty weighty thing to wrestle with. And um, then there's sort of, you know, essentially the need to deliver um, and being accountable and responsible for, for, for how a team performs. So for me personally, having a staff that um, one really understands some of the stuff that you're going through as a, as a head coach, 
so having some empathy for you and 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 then feeling that they can support put an arm around you when you need to has probably been some of the most significant moments in my in my coaching career when when staff have seen that chosen to have the empathy and chosen to support um I think head coaches of Olympic programs can at times be seen to be quite scary individuals and they're just someone, you know, you kind of keep at arm's length and I can understand that. However, I think some, you know, skilled other coaches, skilled practitioners, um, it, for me, them having your back and each of us having each other's back is, is a massive quality that really shines through when the, when the pressure's on. So that's one way that, uh, has helped me through 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 my career and supported me, and then there's a, probably the little bit more obvious ones around you know different perspectives, different ways of looking at things. That that is a double-edged sword in in my world. I I think I, I heard Gordon Lord, who, who used to work with cricket, talking about um, you know hold, holding your position with doubt. I thought that's brilliant. That kind of sums sums me up in a in a in a, in a perfect way. Yeah, so Gordon Lord talked about holding your position with doubt. And if you've got lots of really fantastic people with, you know, who again are trying to have mastery and expertise in their domain, they will definitely have a view and have different perspectives. Allowing people to feel sort of empowered and being able to offer that view and be part and parcel of developing your route of direction is a key skill as the leader of a programme. But at the same time, ultimately, someone has to grab hold to a, to a degree and, and drive the ship in a particular direction. So, again, I try to sort of flex where are we in the cycle? What do the athletes need currently? Given my experiential learning over the years, is it a time here to be sort of in exploration mode and exploring and looking and taking people's idea? Or actually, are we very much more in a... Um, and yeah, essentially almost a execute mode. This, this is what we're going to do and we are going to do that. And I think using staff and having great staff that can offer different perspectives, sometimes challenge your thinking, sometimes help reinforce your thinking is, is great, but it can sometimes with me in particular become oh my word, there's so many opportunities, so many things to think about that you can lose sight of where you want to go. So um, for me, again, for my personal context, it can at times be a bit of a double-edged sword. Um, That's yeah, so, so, so apologies, Jen. So Tim, who is our psychologist, he would describe me as, as, as bracketing me as someone who's kind of engaged. So everything is signal, you know, everything is signal rather than just some stuff is signal and some stuff is just noise and I've got to get better at filtering out what's yeah, that's that attuned to that, the rest is noise. And doing that in a way you don't alienate staff is something you have to work hard and doing it in a way that makes the staff feel they're part of it is it's, it's a challenge, it's a skill. Wow, that's fascinating. And that angle um, is, is really interesting because a lot of the conversations I have or have heard from coaches who were maybe new to the interdisciplinary team setup, um, we always kind of say, well, we know that they're useful and, and we can work as a big team together. But uh, the overwhelming nature of having all that information and how to decipher it and, and the key points you've made is the pinch points in the season. When is it okay to say, 
we're, we're in driving mode right now and here's what I need and maybe the process is in place. But if I could strip it right back, Danny, if there's a, a coach out there or multiple coaches listening who are being introduced to having maybe a, a kind of a full-time physio for the first time or a sports scientist coming in, what kind of tips, if you like, and as kind of a loose word, could you give them to kind of building that trust with them and not just with that relationship with the athletes? Again, a really good question. My my sense is those practitioners, rather than maybe assistant coach, those practitioners want to what they want real clarity of what what's your philosophy of how the game is going to be played, how how are we looking to go about the game, and then they interpret that as to what does that mean in their domain. So whether that's a physiotherapist, strength and conditioning coach, psychologist, they think, okay, right, well, I now kind of know the sort of game model, the identity of how we're going to play and what that means for how I'm going to go about my role. Um, and even that, articulating that in a way that captures the complexity but is simple enough to consume is, is, is a real skill as well. Um, yeah, so that's, that's probably my piece of advice is can you, can you articulate your game model in a way that allows those people to go away and do their role with clarity that aligns with, your, with where you're trying to take the team? Yeah, brilliant. And one, one last question, kind of staying with that. I, early, um, early lockdown period, we had um, a webinar that I sat on where we talked about uh, knowing the role of an assistant coach, so how to be an assistant coach and how to be a head coach. And I was just wondering if there's um, kind of some insight you could share with us about different roles that you've shared or insight to kind of um, how you've worked with an assistant coach before and different responsibilities. Yes, again, over the years in, in many different ways, I think actually recently I was interviewing actually to recruit a new, new assistant coach to the program and, and one candidate who, who was who didn't quite get the role but did exceptionally well, they probably better than other candidates articulated that actually the skills of an assistant coach are quite specific to an assistant coach and the and actually having expert expert assistant coaches rather than just seeing it as a journey to a to head coach role is, is is possibly where we could end up. And, and I think you see that in, in, in football. Um, the way that I traditionally operated was sort of looking at skill mixes. So do they come with a particular tactical technical expertise and where does that fit with, with what we're currently in the system? I've, I've kind of come away from that in this Olympic cycle a little bit because I feel that the nature of the game and the way that it dovetails together, we have to build that game model together as coaches. So if if an athlete goes and speaks to the assistant coach about an, a, an aspect or a facet of the game, that, that assistant coach has an understanding of completely where it fits in with everything else. When, we've, when I've in the past sort of divvied up the roles a little bit more, Sometimes the, the way that things interface and why the importance of the way it interfaces gets lost and, and, and some of the really subtle stuff that can be quite important doesn't get, doesn't get carried over. So I've, I'm not saying this is the right way and I am exploring it in this cycle, but I've tried to work more as we all look at all of the game. It actually takes longer, but when athletes have conversations with staff, it's much more we're all on the same page. We, you know, we've all discussed this at equal amounts of length. I think as we get closer to Tokyo, that will demarcate a little bit more and there will be a little bit more that person is, is, is responsible for that. 
but I've deliberately kept it. We're all we're all own the game, and we all talk about it and come together and have three sets of eyes on the game, rather than I'm just looking at I don't know pressing and they're looking at outletting. I've tried to avoid that a little bit. I don't know if that answers your question, Jen. Yeah, no, absolutely does. It it does, and that's where. Some of the conversations I've been having with coaches led to that webinar saying, like, you've said it there. Some people see that journey as I'm going from assistant to head coach and they assume then a position and sometimes that can become static and their creativity is is um, hindered. So I love I love that different perspectives and kind of an empowerment to, to be involved in the bigger picture in the decision making. So cool. Thank you, Danny. You're welcome. Uh, you've been involved in, is it four Olympic cycles now? Yes, so this is my yeah, coming towards the end. Of, well, it would have been, I would have been at Tokyo now, so it would have been the uh, end of my fourth now. Ouch, Tom. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, it's, 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 wow. <laughs> should have kept myself on mute, really, shouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> so you, we, we, we had a conversation with some coaches the other day, and they were talking about the firebox. I don't know if you've heard the phrase, the expression of the firebox. So in Australia, um, some households might have a firebox that if, if the house was going to be, there was a fire kind of coming, they have a firebox where their the kind of most precious possessions are kept that they would get, get out really quickly. Yeah. Is the, the question I'd be really interested in, through the different cycles you've worked on and, and the experiences you've had at different games with some different athletes and probably some really different environments, although lots of commonality, what, what, would, what would you keep in your firebox? Or what would you pack into your firebox, knowing what you know um, from those different Olympic cycles and what's been really valuable for you as a coach if you were preparing for the next cycle now? Uh, yeah, um, probably three straightforward things. One, one is it's a little, it's become overused, a bit cliche now, but I've been sort of in this space for, well, since about 2009 now, which is around how you build how you build a high performance culture how you understand that that is the thing that glues everybody together and and sets the expectations about this is how we operate here um and yeah i i think you're 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 really going to struggle in a in any domain really unless you you have a good established collaboratively built culture uh, again, probably very, very normal thing to say, but this, in my experience, I'm not convinced how hard some people think about it, but the specificity of, that you bring to your training environment, quite often I feel that that is just addressed in terms of just pure physicality. So sort of, you know, how, you know, how many sprints, how far are we covered physically, what's the cost? rather than some of the emotional aspects of the environment and the, de the de degree and range of the amount of cognitive load they're having to bring to an environment, the amount of problem solving when absolutely out on your feet. Um, you know, the specificity, the emotion, physical decision-making load, that, 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 that is an absolute imperative to me. And if, that's, if, that's, if that specificity isn't absolutely bang on, you're, you're, you're kidding yourself really um, and then probably um, a lesson I've learned following I mean I don't mind sharing people know it's in the public domain I mean I, I had a, a heart attack in um, 2017 while I was out in South Africa with a team and following that I, I worked um, with, a, with a 
with a guy who I've got a huge amount of time and energy and respect for. Um, and I felt I had pretty good self-awareness prior to, to prior to my heart attack. And I think what they did was took that to a whole new level. So there was a real sort of clinical formulation, they call it, um, where, yeah, so understanding why I've sort of stayed in the sport beyond the things I've mentioned. So what, 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 what is it previously that has led to such driven behavior? Um, and what has been the downside of that to my sort of health and well-being? And where can I maintain my um, my motivation, my love for the sport, but but not being driven by the things that perhaps um, have not been so good for me? So um, that that definitely would go in my uh, my firebox. Uh, just that understanding, that granular level understanding about well, why you know why are you so driven about why you do what you do, and is that that healthy or not so healthy <laughs> way of being that would definitely go in and so i think those three things would probably be in my firebox so they're probably the three key lessons i've learned over the years no fascinating and and uh, the the i guess the the point around self-awareness and and your your experience and your example is is a is, is obviously a very poignant one um but for for coaches who are almost reflecting on themselves and the energy that they invest into their coaching and, and the yeah. time that they spend. I, I can imagine that, and we, we've probably all been there to, to varying degrees, that because of your love of the sport, because of the desire to get things right, um, you invest so much time and emotional energy and physical energy into, into, into pursuing that. Is there anything that you, you reflect on or, or, or think about that, that now would almost be a, the trigger for you if you were heading towards that that point where you were feeling like things were a bit too much or there was there was a lot of strain is there anything that flashes up as a bit of a warning light that allows you to put the brakes on yes definitely um so everyone you know has this phrase about uh you know it feels like you're spinning plates and then also for me it is that sense of you know just stuff is there's so much going on that we need to be be on top of but but also another key factor for me, and I know when I'm at capacity or beyond capacity, is that you know I'll be stuff will irritate me quickly, um, and so sort of a level of fatigue, a level of stuff that, that that really you know don't sweat the small stuff. I will be sweating the small stuff, and they'll be sort of it, it will become irritable, irritating to me. Um, that's when I know that I'm not in a good space. Stuff I need to just get perspective back. Um, so if I'm, you know, I take huge pride in thinking incredibly hard about session design, absolutely, because for me it's so fundamental. Um, but sometimes I really ask myself, like, okay, I think I've got that nailed, and actually, in the grand scheme of things, I probably have. So relax and go and go with it, um, and and be and back my experience enough that when I'm on the turf and and it feels it doesn't feel quite right, isn't quite nailing it, then just stop and ask the athletes: Is there anything we can do to make this a little bit better? Which I, I do quite frequently now, much to the surprise of the athletes. You know, literally, uh, this is what we're after. This is what we try to design. This is where. What do you think? Can we adapt it? And they look at me like, okay, yeah, well, maybe do this. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, <laughs> and, and getting into that space rather than I can I can I can end up in a space when I'm beating myself up, thinking this isn't working, and I need this needs to be better, and I'm failing the athletes. Um, that's when I know I've been in a bad space rather than just in a good space. Okay, right, lads, can we do this a bit better? Yeah, okay. 
and they're, they're good signals to me about whether I'm operating in a good space or not. Um, that, do you mind if I jump in, Tom? Uh, I just wanted to ask you, Danny, the importance on the back of that of having critical friends critical year um I, the again different coaches that I speak with I'm especially in the role that I'm in at the moment I'm encouraging them to visit different environments get a different perspective possibly if fortunate enough to go to a different sport but um what I'm seeing coming back from from speaking to to coaches whether it is at Olympic level or, or grassroots along the pathway, that having a critical friend, a soundboard, somebody that uh, kind of understands where you're at, but willing to be honest in the feedback. How important is that to you? The thing that's been really, uh, my answer is going to sound a little bit strange, is, is and this, this is going to sound strange, but uh, it's actually having someone I can vent to. Um, you know, the, you know, the volume of work, the time and energy it takes at times that can be frustrations. And at times, you know, for a number of years, I felt it would be inappropriate just to, just to, just get stuff off my chest. You know, <laughs> just, just, just get it out there. You know? And you know that the reality of what you're saying is probably utter nonsense. You know, it's, it's, it, you know, when you actually step away from what you would actually be venting about, you're actually, well, part of that's you and that's just life and that's normal and this stuff happens and, and for a number of years, I just didn't do that. I just sort of buried stuff away. So now um, I kind of have been very open with the staff and say, you know, at times you will need to take me to the bar, um, you know, for literally a pint where I can just go off on one about stuff that's annoying me and irritating me. And, um, you know, that's probably normal in other domains and other spheres of life. But if for whatever reason, because I've worked in this Olympic domain for such a long time, you've got staff, you, ex you sort of expect to have this certain demeanour about, you know, you can't let that out unless see people there. Now I just tell the staff I need to do this occasionally. I'm hopeful I'm not giving the wrong impression. It's not like something I do, <laughs> do all the time. But there is just yeah. some times where you just need to just get it all off your chest and not be judged and that's and that's that's the critical bit is just say to people that you need to take me out i'm gonna go off on one don't judge me on it i don't really think these things that but i just need to get them off there so it's not so much a critical friend from um you know challenging me about my practice and stuff i think that happens by almost the way we set up our program you know the way we're uh, planning session design and then review that's happening naturally um, and the staff. So I think for me, the, the, the friends or the people who can support me is just the opportunity for me to vent a bit. So that's probably not what you expect. No, that's really cool. That's, you know, that's, that sounds just like, a, as you said, outs even inside the, the sport bubble, just a normal thing to do, to be have to have an outlet, whether it is to go and have a pint, to go for you know a walk in the park, but to, to have an opportunity to just offload. And some, some coaches, again, that I have heard or work with say that drive along the M1 can be a very lonely one if it's just you, you venting to yourself in a car or, you know, you, you feel, as you mentioned there, about the watchful eye. And I know um, kind of in the, in the space you work, it could be, media and the world watching and if it is maybe in a different uh, stage of of sport and coaching it could be parents it could be kind of um anybody else around them but it's it's not internalizing that to the point where you're going to combust it's you know saying you know i wave a white flag for a minute and say you know what i just need to yeah. oh this is what i'm thinking this is what i'm feeling am i right where am i at with this so yeah i, yeah. I completely get that 
And 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 so I've I've been fortunate, uh, you know, recently I've had some amazing staff who 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 are clever enough and have the insight enough to go, yeah, what were they doing? You know, <laughs> rather rather than trying to what really is rather than realizing, would rather than trying to rationalize with me, especially just let's just be rational for a bit. Let's just 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 forget the performance stuff for a moment and just. Just let's just enjoy Let some go. rationality. Yeah. Let's, 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 you know, let's not try and okay. Well, why are you thinking that? You know, trying to make some sense of it. Yeah, idiot. Why did they do that? Idiot. <laughs> and um, you know, in the past, sometimes I've, I've been really reticent to do that because I've just been met, met with this. Well, you know, trying to rationalise it. Well, I don't need rationalisation at the moment. I need just bend. Anyway. Yeah, cool. I get you. Thanks. Yeah, cool. Danny, we, we, we're being really open and honest with that, with your, your your coaching team and the people around you. Does that invite them or give them permission to to feel the same and for them to be open with how they're feeling about stuff? Uh, I hope so, and I believe it does. Um, I, I, you know, again, and we may come onto this around sort of boundaries a little bit about you know people are always navigating the sort of. The, the subtleties and nuances within the interaction within the group but I, I feel particularly in the staff group I work with at the moment that we enjoy a real high level of professionalism but we also realise here we're just being human beings and we're just talking and you know, shooting from the hip about stuff and now we switch back on into our professional domains rather than just permanently staying in this let's look at this objectively from a form you know just being human for a small, or more human, shall I say, for, for small periods of time where we can just, uh, yeah, without judgment, speak, get stuff off our chest, um, throw it around, normalise it, get perspective, get back on with the job. I was chatting to a coach the other day and, and he, he said he had a real problem with the phrase um, high performance and for him it was about human performance and human growth and that, that was the nature of it rather than trying to dehumanise something that, that actually it's just about people and getting the best out of people and supporting them and, and helping them grow. Um, yeah. You mentioned something earlier, Danny, around sometimes being able to ask the players about what do they think, what, what's their input, maybe within a practice or within the culture. Um, how, does that have benefits when it comes to moving from a practice environment to a competition environment and then almost the shift in terms of role and responsibility amongst for, for you and for the rest of the team? Where I've got to with this um, is it's is a continuum where I... I sort of slide up and down the continuum about how much co-creation is needed at that point in time, given where the the group are. Um, and for me, that can vary on a number of a number of different things. So proximity to a tournament, um, you may periodise that actually we're going to take away some of some of the athletes feeling like, oh my god, I'm going to think about that as well. Isn't that your job, coach? Versus, uh, you know, over the years you've worked with a, a group long enough that they have the capacity and skills, and actually they they're quite energised by that. Versus some athlete groups that may not be energised by that. So you're trying to make good, sound judgments. You can triangulate it with other staff about shall we, shall we not. Um, but my second point is big picture. You, I I try to develop the squad towards that 
So it is, it is, it is their team. It is, it is their, their input, their program. So they feel pride. They feel invested in it. They feel like they've been listened to. They feel like they've built it. Uh, and you know you're on a winning wicket when they start to think, well, what do you actually do, coach? Because actually you've, you've essentially taken them on a journey where they are taking the grip and hold of stuff. Um, and that can be feel ever so subtle over a long period of time. Equally, you may be with a new group and they may not be used to that. They may not have the skills for that. So you may need to be a little bit further down the other continuum where you are your sort of inverted commas classic leader and this is where we're going and this is how we're going to do it and this is where we go. And, and you may change with the context and the time. But always for me, the view is you are trying to shift the group to 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 be invested in and taking control of both their own development and the development of the team. That's that's, that's really interesting, and I I, lo I love the, the picture about sliding scale and and based on how close to a tournament are we and all these different different factors. I'm sure that within your squad that you've got athletes who have who have taken part in different Olympic cycles and perhaps have played slightly different roles within the squad depending on on their experience and their their role within the team that that co-creation when it relates to those perhaps more experienced players does, does it does it change does does your role change when you're working with those individuals who perhaps have had a, a slightly different or a, a different uh, set of experiences than others uh, absolutely and again I think as a being very very straight with as a head coach sometimes you may deliberately choose to engage some athletes less because it drives their behavior toward you they want they they want to they want to they want to get what's inside your head they want to um they want to prove something they want to be uh you know listen to more and it actually keeps them wanting it where as soon as for some for, and so you've made a judgment call actually if i engage that athlete they may actually become comfortable and feel they're kind of part of the fabric and they're definitely going to be selected so it actually is sometimes a conscious decision about who who you engage with um again that sounds a little bit ruthless but that, that has been a conscious decision at times. I'm going to keep that person wanting to be involved and, and keep them wanting more because it actually gets the best out of them. It can be frustrating for them at times. And it may be you know, a fault of mine that I'm maybe not seeing a maturity that is there, but my perception is it's not, and I've, I've chosen that route. Um, I think... One of the things I find is that as I get increasingly older, but the cohort of athletes that I work with remains the same sort of rough, rough age range is sort of the changing value systems that sort of coming in with different, different athlete groups, athlete cohorts. And I'm, what I'm really trying to ask myself at the moment is has what it takes to win with a different type of generation of athletes and how I need to coach, how much is you know, am I changing enough? Is my approach changing enough to, to, have, to have the skills to work with this group of athletes? Um, but what I find then is the athletes who are sort of older, I feel I can connect quite well with them. It's some of the, the younger ones where I'm really struggling to, especially the super talented young ones, I'm like, 
yeah, I, I'm struggling to find the skill sets to to do the type of things we're talking about. How can I engage them in their co-creation? Some of them just want to be told and some of them um, definitely want to be driving it and understanding which one's what I'm, I'm struggling with. Uh, not all the time, don't get me wrong, but definitely that's I find it easier to interface with the older athletes who've been around the block more, who have the experience, who really understand the bigger picture. Post-winning gold in Rio... There are a number of athletes with a gold medal around their neck who, being blunt, probably didn't realise what had gone before. Um, and, and then working with them proved particularly challenging and I didn't have the skills to work with some of those people. So, uh, you know, it's a pretty unique scenario. It's not often as a head coach you get to work with Olympic gold medalists who've only been really around a programme for three years and they, yeah, comparative to someone who's been around for eight or 12 years and they've really understood the journey. Um, that's a new set of skills I've required and I'm having to develop it in situ. I've gone off on a tangent there, sorry. No, I, do you know, I had a vision there uh, of you with this massive soundboard, this sound mixer in front of you, trying to dial it up and down for all these athletes. And then, you know, this new fandangle piece of technology comes in and you're mixing. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, what an incredible craft um, or craftsman that you are to be able to be so self-aware that there is this this influx, be it you know the influence of technology or education um, that that steers in a certain way, whether it is explicit instruction that some need for a certain period of time, um, or that as a, as a friend of mine said, the entitlement that some younger people have when they come into a system of like this has been done and and now I'm ready to listen and I will work really hard, but the co-creation and and their level of awareness of where they're at is a little further behind. So the art of merging with an older athlete or a more experienced athlete rather and a younger or less experienced athlete is um, is is a, is a wonderful craft. Yeah, and one that you can definitely stuff up pretty quickly, as I know to my cost. So, so for me, the and part of that conversation is is <laughs> you're dealing with twenty seven, twenty eight plus athletes and trying to create sort of this is this is how we operate, and then on an individual level with each of those people, <laughs> uh, that, that's when it gets that's when it gets yeah, incredibly uh, challenging. And particularly I find now because uh, the expectations of athletes come in are different. There is that, that, there is that sense of what are you going to do for me rather than what are you going to do for, for us. And I know that sounds <laughs> sweeping, but that, that is, that's a little bit how it feels at times. Don't get me wrong, it's, the, it's, more, it's more of the issue lays with me, not with the athletes. It's my ability to connect with those. Some of those oh, people. No, that's fascinating. And in the in the typical understanding or, um, of of boundary, so whether it is time in the relationship um, and connectivity, have you found a difference in the the switch between the, the the coaching the group of men's team and the women's team, and how maybe receptive or um, I guess kind of engaging that they were. Uh, yeah, it's. Um, I have to say, when I was when I was offered the role with the men after going through the process, you know, the thing I was most anxious about was how how would they respond to my joining the men's program? They put a lot of time and energy into developing their own performance culture, and that um, yeah, I was really worried about how how would I be taken in and accepted. And actually, they were amazing. They were fantastic. They were very welcoming. I, I felt. 
like you're very welcomed into their domain um and that helped hugely i was very nervous you know how that was going to whether i was going to have to work through a series of barriers to get to people you know it's very it's very human as as being a member of a team and having a new head coach arrive now what does this mean for me like you know where am i going to now sit in the whole mix of things so i was conscious of there needed to be an element of a change agenda, but there was an awful lot that was really good. As that also, I think actually, I don't, I don't want to pull, you know, throw the baby out of the bathwater. You know, so it's enough enough change agenda where the, the athletes feel okay, new sense of direction, new sense of energy, which you'd want from someone new coming in, but equally be acknowledging of, of what's gone before. And I was trying to get that balance right. And if anything, the feedback I've had a little bit is, you know, don't hide your light under a bushel if you feel strongly about something. You just say and get on with it. Um, and I've had that. I've had that quite a bit recently. Um, so I've been at times a bit reticent to say this. I've done this in the past. This has worked really well. I've been a bit reticent, and they've now got to the point of just yeah, just we want your experience. Come and come and give it to come and come and use it. Yeah. Um, so on, on the whole, it's been a really great transition made in large part because of really great staff and a real good bunch of athletes who've been really welcoming awesome yeah i think the the landing point for me there is you just even tailing a convert tailing the sentence of it saying and knowing where they're coming from like the importance yeah. and you said you know you're not just talking about one athlete even though it's equally as important you're one athlete multiplied by you know a massive team that you have so um yeah that's awesome I mean, look, we've covered loads of topics and I'll be honest, I've made pages of notes listening to you talk throughout the conversation. Um, just to wrap up the call, really, and to finish off, if there was anything you'd want to impart onto other coaches who are listening to the podcast and thinking about their own coaching craft and how they manage perhaps the boundaries in their world, whether that's between them and their athletes or themselves and the sport, whatever it might be, is there anything for you that's been particularly important on your journey that you'd want to share or, or, or at least prompt coaches to start thinking about um, to have a, a positive impact on, on themselves um, and the way that they go and coach? Yeah, that... Again, it's very personal to me, and I'm not sure I'm not sure it applies to all contexts but, or, or different different people. But probably the one of the most important lessons I learned the hard way because it was impacting on my health or did impact on my health was you know I, I had this perception of how I had to be as a, as a head coach for you know Olympic program, and um, and then following some feedback after the Beijing cycle, you know decided okay i need to be like this and i need to operate like this uh, and in, in effect what i was doing was sort of um burying burying myself a little bit and burying a lot of my uh, some of my emotions particularly what we've seen as negative emotions so when i was when i felt that people had transgressed a particular value system and i was angry at times i would hide that although people could tell which has even made it you know looking back now thinking what an idiot but, um, you know, just burying stuff. Um, and, you know, that was really unhealthy for me. And through some mentoring and support now, all I do now is I just speak to the anger. So, you know, if, if, if we have been training or if we've been performing 
And I feel like we've just not lived up to where the expectation is, not just mine, but the athlete's own expectation. And, that, and, I, and I'm pretty dis- disappointed with stuff. Rather than being, you know, either burying it, which is where I was for a good period of time and sort of, you know, falsely saying, well, we'll debrief and look at that and, you know, sort of try to take the emotion out of it. And now I will talk to emotion. So I'll say, I am really angry. I am, I am furious. But without being angry and furious, I'll just give it a name. And, a, and, and, and so that actually becomes a much more healthier way of being. If I put a more positive spin on that, so rather than talking about things like anger and disappointment, you know, I talk, I'm not the most uh, extroverted, uh, outgoing, happy-go-lucky kind of coach. You know, I'm not, uh, but now when I think, I see stuff that I think, I'm really impressed with that, lads. I will tell them. So, for example, the last couple of days we've been uh, transiting through our return to training through the elite dispensation and we're now in groups of six in contact and they've actually put in a good shift in the last two days. And I've, I've just gone out of my way to say, well done, fellas, that is that's good. Whereas in the past, a bit like um, some of my, you know, I just, I just haven't, I haven't put it out there. I haven't talked to it. I mean, you know, lads, I'm really impressed with that. Really well done. I'm really, and that that makes me feel good because <laughs> so it's going to make it's going to have an effect on them as well. I hope. Uh, and in the past, I've been poor at that. So talking to your emotions a little bit more is a skill that I I didn't have. And one that I think is possibly quite simple to do. And so that's my simple snippet for to wrap up, I guess, this conversation. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for being so honest um, and candid. It's, it's, it's really refreshing to hear. And um, you've made me really excited about coaching. I want to get back out on the field and do something. <laughs> I will have to say it's been great. We've been back, what, I think this is our fourth week back now. And it's been very, very, very measured. Um, and it's been brilliant. It's been really good to be back on the turf with the lads, and they've been they've been doing really well. Amazing, amazing. Well, look, Danny, look, thank you for all of your time today. Uh, really appreciate it, and um, we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thanks, Jen. All the best. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.